Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast, where it's our goal to communicate some late breaking news and thoughtful insights about this broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings. This is part of ResNet's efforts to reach out to the community, to hear you, to gauge, to cover topics that you're interested in. I'm your host, Bill Spohn, and I've worked in the HVACR and building performance markets for 30 years. I've been interfacing with the team at ResNet for nearly that whole time. If anyone could write a book for understanding life in the housing market, it's Jeff Bentley. His understanding comes from many years of living the experience forwards in a variety of roles. Carpenter, builder, raider, realtor, this self-identified kid in the classroom that's always asking why. Jeff has developed a keen sense of understanding what goes into making a high-performance home and which aspects uniquely interest prospective buyers. He's a fourth-generation home builder. He's worked on supervised the construction of over 4,000 homes in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He's assisted clients in designing and building high-performance and energy-efficient homes. He's going to share with us today his rules, his five rules, which he's developed over time, reflecting back on this lifetime of experience. Here they are. Taking care of the customer, training continuously, top-down commitment, verifying the work, and being willing to involve. Jeff stresses the importance of air sealing and accountability of the trades, amongst many other topics that we discussed today. His experience and capabilities guide his clients in selecting architects, builders, lots, lenders, subcontractors, or suppliers. His clients enjoy a high-performance home while maximizing the benefits of energy tax credits, utility rebates, and supplier discounts. Jeff's happy to share his knowledge, and he will do so here shortly. So listen up as Jeff Bentley tells us his five rules for high-performance homes. Let's first explore and connect the dots and get kind of a brief overview of Jeff Bentley. Where did you kind of get started working with homes and working on homes and where are you at right now? Well, Bill, I grew up in a home building family. I'm a third generation home builder. Everyone in one side of my family is either a real estate salesperson or they're a home builder. In the old days, they called them carpenters. And I just grew up in the family business and that's just what I learned from an early age. And it became uh, something that was exciting and it was fun and learning and understanding how houses are built was something that I just grew up learning how to do. But as it evolved through college and out of college and working for national home builders around the country, I didn't really bring it full circle until I was uh, attending an AWEA conference in Portland, Oregon. What is AWEA, by the way? American Wind Energy Association. And my oldest son was a engineering student at a local college there in Portland, and he was pursuing a degree in renewable energy. And he invited me out. He said, Dad, you need to come on out to this. There's going to be a big conference out here at one of the big hotels, and all of the students around the area from all the universities are going to be present. And the chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, John Wellinghoff, will be the keynote speaker. And I said, oh, my goodness, I'll be right there. And so I I jumped on a plane. It was a good time for me to see my son. And we had a chance to sit in this big, giant ballroom, which seemed like it had 5,000 chairs in it. And we all got to listen to what John Wellinghoff had to say. And he was basically saying, you people in this room today are the solution to our nation's future energy needs. And you will be able to provide us the innovation that will be required in order to deliver that. And he provided us a set of slides 
one of the slides and we're sitting there in the middle of this room talking to each other and I'm halfway paying attention to him to be very honest with you because my son and I hadn't seen each other in months and he showed a, a U.S. energy sources and uses map from 2009. Now granted this conference was January 10th of 2010 and I remember it like it was yesterday and he said at this moment 67% of all generated electricity in our country is lost prior to reaching the end user. He says the U.S. must drastically reduce our dependency on the existing electrical grid system in order to keep up with anticipated growth of our country. He goes, we anticipate that our country will grow by 60% in the next 20 years, by 2030. He goes, it's not just a matter of national security. It's a matter of being able to provide the basic utility requirements that our country will need during this time of growth. And he says, everyone in this room will need to provide the solution. And I will tell you this, that we must find solutions behind the meter. And when he said the words behind the meter, my home building ears perked up and he got my full attention. And I'm like, wait a minute, I know what that is. We have to build a better home. I decided right then and there, I'm going to jump in with both hands and both feet. And I was looking forward to learning more and being a part of the solution. I understood what behind the meter meant. And I didn't necessarily know at the time what that meant in terms of how the house was going to be built better, but that was the exciting part for me. And so I said, so where does this start? Well, it's just like in any business, you follow the money. And so there are so many ways to approach this. Do I follow the utility side of this? Do I follow the home building side of this, the financing side of this? Where does this all start? Well, I kept pulling on the string. And at that particular moment in time, I was a full-time real estate agent selling homes, mostly new homes. And I realized very quickly that everything begins and ends with the home buyer because the home buyer brings the money that trickles down to all of us, no matter what capacity we are in. So it's the buyer's decision, the buyer's knowledge, perhaps, in order to make their decision and the way they're presented with information that they can shape so much of this. Exactly. So it, it very simply put, I mean, we need to have more and more buyers pay more money for better homes. That was very simply put, but the question was, was how? I've heard uh, mentioned recently, someone said that the market's conditioned buyers to have uh, undeveloped palette for homes and that uh, it's up to a lot of us to help them, buyers, to figure out what they really want because they have never tasted it or sampled it. Well, that's very true. And as I'll get into this, I will talk about the four different buyer types and my favorite, of course, is the first-time home buyer because they're young. They don't know anything about homes. They haven't experienced the benefits of homes, the downsides of homes. They don't know what a good home is or a bad home is. They don't know anything. And so they're very impressionable. For somebody like me with my background and experience, I really enjoy educating the first-time home buyer because I know that once they understand that I'm looking out for their best interest, and they really believe that I'm trying to find them the home that's best for them, not just does it have the right number of bedrooms and bathrooms and living areas, and is it in the right school district, but is it a well-built home that they will appreciate as they live in it later on? And growing up in the family business, I'd see my granddad's phone ring, my mom's phone ring, and I didn't understand why it always just rang and rang and rang and rang. And they were never looking for business. It was because they were taking care of people. And so I learned that we need to do that. And so to be successful, I think we need to better understand what causes a buyer to act and decide to buy a home, not just a high performance home, but any home. So where's the button? 
in it. I've had home buyers in my car for the last 25 years, new home buyers. And we're not just looking for a home, we're looking for the home. And so there is definitely an emotional element to the buying process. I see it every day and some more than others. But buyers typically buy on emotion and justify logically, as most salespeople know. But it comes down to which home pushes their buttons is the one they're going to buy. If they all have the number of bedrooms and bathrooms and living areas they want, and they're all in the school district that they want, which one's it going to be? It's going to the ones that push their emotional buttons. And so I have to learn how to push those buttons and use what I know to push those buttons. And buyer demand drives the market. And if I can provide them facts, that'll help drive the buyer demand. And I'm just one person. And some days I feel like I'm the only guy out there that knows what a high performance home is. I learned very quickly, if I want to eat, I need to learn to listen and be able to push those right buttons. And from an old construction guy transitioning into 100% full-time sales, you learn how to listen very quickly. And you continue to learn and to develop facts and information in order to do this. And so how does being an Energy Raider certified, having this HERS certification, add to your experience in being able to do this kind of work? Well, being a previous home builder, when I've built thousands of homes all over the country, I and mean, building a house has always been easy for me. Big house, little house, a house designed, a house with a basement designed not to move in the frost or a hurricane scenario. I've built all kinds of houses, and I just thought I was very knowledgeable about homes. Once I became Energy Raider certified and I got into the Energy Raider certification process, I quickly learned how much I didn't know. I just thought I was a good home builder. I just thought I was smart. I thought I knew everything about homes there was because I'd been in it for so long and built so many houses. But I realized it was a very, very wonderful process. I enjoyed it immensely and it made me a better home builder. It really did. It made me a builder real estate agent. It made me better in all aspects, because now I had developed a better understanding of not only how a home is built, but the science behind it and what happens naturally without us knowing about it. And in the real estate world, you're always looking for a, a report or a document to use as a source. The second law of thermodynamics, it's there whether you like it or not, and it's doing what it does. And darn that physics, it's always there looming its ugly head. Exactly. So you try to take what you learn as an energy rater and you apply it to the home buyer. And so the home buyer's first thing they're going to say is, What's in it for me? That's what every home buyer wants to know. What's in it for me? Why do I care? You must have a few kind of go to thoughts or statements on that basis in terms of relating the building science and your understanding of how systems work to the homeowner and trying to figure out what's in it for them, what relates to them. Any of the kind of go-to things you talk about right off the bat? Well, the first two things for me, I mean, you can narrow all of the benefits for high-performance building into two things. It's about improved safety to the indoor environment, and it's about money, and it's about saving money. Not costing money, but saving money. And it's natural for home builders to look at this as an expense, these added energy requirements. But the reality of it is it may be an expense to them, but it's a benefit and a savings to the homeowner, the home buyer. And I think we have to learn how to reposition our conversation so that it's in the context of the home buyer. 
So Jeff, you must have developed over the years some kind of uh, rules of thumb, things that you always go back to, to take people through this journey, this process. What are some of those rules that you have? We've talked about these before. From the home building side of things, we really have to train continuously. We have to train everybody involved in the process. And that not only means the operations guys, that means the construction guys, that means the salespeople, and that means integrating real estate community into it and training everybody that's in the process of the home buying experience. Nothing is going to work unless you have top-down commitment. And that's my other rule. If the owner doesn't agree with this and doesn't buy into this, then it's not going to go very far. It's just going to be a nod of the head. And it takes commitment because what we're doing is we're changing the philosophy of how we build houses and how we go about this. And from the field standpoint, you have to verify the work. The results have to speak for themselves. And everybody in the process needs to buy in. And I think if you're a home builder in any country, you need to be willing to evolve and you need to be be willing to say, there's always a bigger and better and faster way to get there. Let's constantly try to improve and find out what that is so that we can improve the buying experience and the buying and the end product. And so I've added a fifth rule that I have learned from my family business, from being a real estate agent for the last 25 years after I got out of home building. And that is you have to take care of the customer. If you're not taking care of the customer, uh, you're not selling houses and you're not building houses and you're not doing anything. And so we have to, I go back to the customer because that's really where it is. And for me, when I got into the real estate business, my family, they gave me two bits of advice and I'll never forget them. They told me to listen for the need, take care of the customer like their family. And they said, look, God gave you a gift. So bring value to someone's life today. And you'll never have to worry about looking for business. And I have, from a construction kid who jumped into 100% commission sales, I had to use that and keep that close to me because that's exactly what got me through every day. I had to treat every customer as if it was my last or my only customer. And in the very beginning, they were my only customers. And the other rule was, look, you're the professional, so be the professional and get them in a better house. And is the younger buyers want think bigger, a bigger home is better. Everybody's looking for more square footage. Well, as I've learned over the years, bigger isn't really better. Better is better. And so what is the definition of better? And that's my job is to articulate to each type of buyer what better is. And the first part of that is listening to their needs and being customer centric as you go through this process. Well, yes. If you don't learn how to listen, then you're not going to eat. So that's a given. So when you get to thinking about this, what questions should a builder be asking themselves and or asking of the consumer, of of their customer? There's got to be some typical questions. Well, there are. And when I have a client in my car and we're driving around looking at various home builders, I don't even have to get out of the car to tell if that builder is taking care of the customer because I can see by the way they're building just from driving by. And so a real estate agent's objective is different than a home builder salesperson's objective. A home builder salesperson's objective is to sell their house on that lot today. And the realtor's perspective is to sell their client the best house, no matter whose it is, whenever the buyer's ready. And so there's consequently sometimes a little bit of conflict, but that's natural. That's part of the business. But when I take one of my clients into a builder's model, I've got some questions that I need to know if I don't already know them, and I want them to be answered 
so that my buyer is beginning to develop the understanding that they need. And one of those questions is, what are you building to? Are you a code builder? What building protocols are you building to? Are you a code builder? Are you above code? So what does that mean? Well, the new energy laws are out and Energy Star building is a little bit better of a home. Zero energy ready home is a little bit better home than that. And then you can get into net zero and you can get into lead and you can get into other building protocols that are above code. And each of them have their own differences. So my first question that I ask is, what building protocols are you building to? And sometimes I get looks like, what are you talking about? But that's going to tell me what kind of a home I expect to receive if my client build, buys one of their homes. And even if there's just an awareness of sort of the spectrum that you gave from code to above and then way above code. Exactly. And so the next question I get into, well, let's talk about your building envelopes. Am I going to get a five-year envelope, a 10-year envelope, a 50-year envelope, or am I going to get a 100-year envelope? And what kind of air changes should I expect? I mean, how are you keeping the heat and the cold and the moisture and the bad stuff out of the house? So are you good? Are you better? Are you best at your building envelope? I need to get an idea on what kind of a building envelope you're going to build for my client. From there, you actually move to some of the home energy rating standards, like the blower door test at that point, right? That's correct. And I'm still surprised how many salespeople out there don't know what a blower door test does. I've had all kinds of responses to that question. And that's why I emphasize the training so much. The salespeople need to be trained and they need to understand what they're selling. Everybody does. If we expect to move this forward, everyone in the process needs to better understand what they're selling and why it's better. Because we're getting back to the buttons for the buyer. One of the buttons that is a kind of an interesting subject is how are you taking care of the indoor air quality that my family is going to breathe? And that's such a new topic because none of us have ever thought about that. We've got an air filter in our furnace up there at the air handler. Oh, we changed the air filter. What do you mean? Do we change the air filter once a week more frequently than once a quarter or once every 30 days? Is that what you're talking about? No, that's not what I'm talking about at all. And a lot of times I like to ask groups that I'm speaking to, it's kind of a trick question, but I always ask them this question. And the question is, can you build a home too tight? And everybody in the room raises their hand and says, yes, 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 yes. Well, I say, first of all, that was a trick question. The answer is really no, as long as you vent it properly. Well, like, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, now mechanical ventilation is an integral part of new home construction. And so not only are we only bringing air in, the newer energy recovery ventilators are attempting to treat the temperature and the humidity levels in the air, as well as filter the air on top of that. So they're doing multifunctions to try to improve the quality of the air that's coming in. And unfortunately, I see some out there doing just the bare minimum to meet the 62.2 ASHRAE requirement. And then I see some out there that are going all out and putting in the, the ERVs and the HRVs, and they're doing a great job. And they're selling the benefits of it. And people are appreciating it. But it does cost more. And I get that. There's one thought I was at a Healthy Building Summit just last week. And the topic, the thought occurred to me, people pay, there's a conversation going on talking about people paying attention more and more to the food that they eat and the sources of their food. It occurred to me, people really eat air. It's something that goes in your body. Yes. So that kind of changed someone's perspective about sort of the biological nature and what's actually going on for indoor air quality. It's not just around you. It's something that goes in your body. 
Yes, it does. And I want to get into a little bit about what are you buying when you buy a home? And it's a whole different mindset to that. And the last three questions that I like to ask a builder are how do you handle heat transfer? What's your exterior wall R value? Is this average? Do we have an above average wall? What kind of wall are you providing? How much thought have you put into it? The thing I learned as an energy rater when I realized that the total R value of your typical two before exterior wall has a total R value somewhere between R8 and R9, that blew my hair back. When you take into consideration the amount of square feet of, of glass for the windows and doors and the two before studs and you move all that down and 75% is R13 and the other 20 something percent is an R3 and you average all that together and the wall is somewhere around an R8 or an R9, that's telling and explains why on builder contracts, all I saw what was the R value for the insulation. They didn't tell me what the R value of the wall was. They just told me what the R value of the insulation. So I now put two and two together. Now I understood why is because every wall is different for obviously based upon what percentage is wood and what percentage is glass and what percentage is insulation. I get all that. But the reality of it is we really don't have an R 17 or 19 wall. It's closer to <laughs> R8 or R10, and that's troubling. And that's physics rearing its ugly head again. It is. It's something that you now appreciate from understanding this whole perspective of energy rating. It is. And so the PER score that was developed was the other question. And really, it comes down to, are you costing us money or are you making us money? That's what it really comes down to. If you've got a very inefficient home, energy inefficient home, then in today's home building world, I'm going to be spending a lot more money to live in that home. Whereas if I buy a house and live in a house that has a lower HER score, I can use that difference, that delta, to make me money, actually, and to save me money. And as a real estate agent, I know the tricks on how to do that. But I quickly learned that the HER score is, is a wonderful piece of information that is going to be universally utilized, if not already. But it, it needs to become more commonplace in our conversations with financing, with the home buying process, and every builder needs to talk about and be able to talk about it properly. It's home specific. It's not floor plan specific. But a lower HER score is, a lot of it is just a matter of the building specs. What efficiency are you going to use for your water heating and your furnace and your air conditioning? And what kind of a wall are you going to build? What kind of appliances and lighting are you going to put into place? So a lot of it is building specs. And you can do that very easily without a lot of disruption to the overall design because buyers want to buy what they're comfortable with. And we'll get into more of that later. But uh, the last question that I ask is, do you have an energy performance guarantee program? Are you going to put your money where your mouth is? Are you going to back this up? Are you going to say, my home is going to perform at a certain level over the next two years and I'm willing to put my money behind it? And so there are different companies out there that builders use. Some do that. As a matter of fact, a very good friend of mine is has a high position in a national home building company. And I was invited to a realtor get together so that they could ask questions about their product from the realtor's point of view, kind of like a, a home buyer survey, except this was a, a realtor survey. And at the end of the program, this was about, I don't know, it was about 10 years ago, maybe even longer than that. At the end of the program, I just asked the guy, I said, look, you guys are national builders. You've been building houses for 
35, 40 years, why don't you put your money where your mouth is and, and provide an energy performance guarantee? And he looked at me like, whoa. I said, you can determine what the number is. You can determine what the performance requirement is, but market yourself and back it up. And I don't know if I had anything to do with it, but about a year later, their program got kickstarted and now they're one of the leading builders of this particular energy performance program. With the guarantee? Yes. So in these six questions, at what point do you start getting showed the door? Show the door. <laughs> What's the acceptance rate? I mean, how does the dialogue go with the builder when you do this kind of thing? I let the builder do their thing. I let the builder demonstrate. I let the builder show and tell. I let the builder provide all of the information that they can provide for my client. I'm always in the background, but the builders always want to be the experts and they know their house. And so they want to demonstrate it. So I allow them to do that. And so I'm typically, I have questions that I want to know because my client doesn't know the questions to ask. That's why they have me. And I'm looking out for my client's best interest. And I know that the answers to these six questions will undoubtedly give us a direction as to whether or not this particular builder is looking out for my client's best interest. Now, just here's an example. I had a client that I had sold a house to, and they and uh, six or seven years later, they had a couple of kids that called me, and they said, Jeff, we want to sell our current home and build something a little bigger down the street in a newer neighborhood. I said, that's great. Now, he was a fireman, EMT. She was a respiratory therapist at one of the largest hospitals in Dallas. She was also on the ninth floor of that hospital when that Ebola outbreak occurred several years ago. She was part of that process and her specialty of being a respiratory therapist, she was all too familiar with what those dangers are. And she was all too familiar with the importance of indoor air quality. So she said, Jeff, help me find a builder that will provide my family with the best indoor air quality. So we sit down with this salesperson, with this builder, and we start talking and I start asking him questions about what are you doing? Do you use ERVs? He goes, what are those? I explained it to him. I said, what kind of a HERS rating do you have? What kind of a building envelope? What are your air changes per hour? What are your blower door test results? Give me an idea. Are we talking three, five, seven? Help me here. And he goes, you don't want to know about all that stuff. That stuff is a waste of everybody's time and money. And he goes, that's not important at all. He goes, it's a waste of money. So my client gave me that look and we politely got up and walked outside. That salesperson failed to recognize or failed to ask the question, what's important? And he didn't realize he was sitting there with a respiratory therapist who was involved with the latest Ebola outbreak <laughs> and indoor air quality was very, very important to them. He didn't take the time to ask. And so that's part of sales. You got to ask questions. You got to understand who you're working with and dealing with. And so you can answer the questions that are important to them. And so that's just an example of oops, but I think there's something for all of us to learn. But I truly believe, Bill, that every home buyer wants to live in a home that's safe and not just structurally safe, but environmentally safe. And I truly believe they want to own a home that costs less to own and operate. Some of them, it's a desire, but some of them, it's a requirement. And I think everybody wants a home that's a good investment. They don't know what makes a good investment. That's what they rely on the real estate community for. But those are the three basics that every home owner, home buyer wants to have. And so I think that most of the home buyers out there, 
They don't know why they need a good home. They just want one and they don't know how to find it and they need help. And they want an unbiased person in some cases to help them find that. And so that's where people like me come in. Some people that they use the internet and they learn along the way and they find, they read, and that's great because that helps the education process, but it doesn't really bring it all together. So every time a home buyer's needs change, they will either get out of their apartment and go buy a house, or they will sell what they're in and go buy something to, that will accommodate their needs. And I get into the four different types of home buyers. I have kind of over the years categorized home buyers in these different ways. There you have first time home buyers. They're either single or it's a couple, or maybe it's a couple with one child. And then you have move up buyers, the growing families, more kids, two, three, four kids. They need a bigger house, they need more space. And then the empty nesters, that's when all the kids are gone. They go off to college or they leave college and they're gone. And so now mom and dad are sitting there with this big house that they don't need. And the, and the electric meter spinning. They're like, we got to get out of here. We got to get off this ride. And then lastly is the retirees. It's the golden age, the golden years. And that's where we want to enjoy what we have done over the years. And we want something that's simple. We want something that's low cost, no cost. And we want it to be nice, small and nice. So those four categories I've kind of put together and I try to provide emotional benefits and logical benefits to each one of those home buyers because I know that the buttons for each one of those is different. And so having been three of the four myself, I totally understand what that is. And I'd like to get into those if I may. Sure. Let's dig into that a little bit and give the listeners some perspective on that. First time home buyers, they're inexperienced. They have a little knowledge due to the internet and some of them have been looking around on their own, but mostly they're uninformed about homes but they always will lean towards what they're familiar with, what they grew up with and what they know. And so the emotional button for them is, and I love to do this, in the real estate community, if we're out showing people homes, it's not unusual for us to ask for the utility cost for a home. So the other party will provide us the last 12 months of utility costs. So one of the first things I do with a first-time buyer is I go to a home built in the 80s. And I'll say, hey, I'll reach out to the listing agent. I'll say, hey, can you provide me with utility costs for this home over the past year? And they do. And then we go to a home that's built newer, maybe uh, around 2000, 2010. And I get an example of those. And then I get into the net zero utility cost, the homes that the high performance homes, homes built with today's codes. And I show them and I lay those pieces of paper down. And I show them the differences. And I said, Look, folks, when you're buying a house, you've got two pockets. You've got a left pocket and a right pocket. Your left pocket is where all of your house payments going to be, principal interest, taxes, and insurance. But your other pocket is going to be utilities, maintenance, upkeep, and all those things that you don't even know are going to hit you. And I said, the object of the game here is to keep both of those pockets as low, as small as possible, because it's all coming out of the same bank account. And I said, it's not just about your payment. It's about what it's going to cost you to live and own that home. And I said, an 80s home, and they get to see it very clearly, an 80s home is going to cost them a lot more money to live in and operate. Now, if they have to have it, they have to have it. But at least my job is to help them make an educated decision. That's my job. And the facts are what they are. And so the utility cost savings for a net zero, net zero ready, even something at today's energy codes, is significantly better. And I show them, I said, guys, you can take the savings 
and pay down your mortgage. You can put it together for college for your kids or whatnot. And that's real money. And you can put it aside, buy furniture with it. You've got this big house and you've got a cot in one room. Now you can fill your house full of furniture and you're going to let the home do it for you. And one of the other things that I like to do is we'll drive through a new neighborhood and invariably there'll be a bag of mortar mix or a bag of concrete or something laying around. And if there's not, then I'll take them to Home Depot and we'll go walking through there. And I have them pick up a 40 pound bag of concrete or 40 pound bag of mortar mix. And I say, pick up that bag and I want you to feel how heavy that is. And they'll say, why are we doing this? And I'm going to tell them, I said, look, here are the facts. If you live in our part of the world, which is Texas, and in the southeastern part of the United States, we have high heat and high humidity. And I said, anything above 50% humidity, we're going to have dust mites. And I said, when you have air infiltration, those dust mites are going to accumulate in the house. And I said, the experts tell us that a home will accumulate about 40 pounds of dust mites over a period of year. So what you just picked up in that bag is going to be an equivalent bag of dust mites because the home had holes in the building envelope. So we want to find a home that's better built that has a tight envelope to keep those out. That's really shocking. And that leaves a big impression on them. And it's the eyes wide open look of, oh my goodness. And so those are the kind of the buttons that I like to hit with a first time buyer. The move up buyer is growing family. They can afford more money. They're more discerning. They've learned some lessons. They're getting informed the hard way, things that they won't do the next time they go around repair costs, maintenance, Normally it's a big house, but it normally has big utility bills. And I've talked to a lot of my friends. They have that trapped feeling of a bad ride that they can't get off of. I've got a big house. It's costing me a lot of money and help I can't get off. And it's just, it's a feeling of helplessness. It's because they bit off on a house that's, you've got drafts coming through the windows and the doors. You got a kid that's with asthma and they don't understand what's triggering it. He's got college on the horizon. And then I explained to them, I said, look, we walk all through this house that you're looking at buying. And I said, did you notice the open window? They're like, what open window? I said, let's go around and look at it again. I said, did you not notice the open window? They go, I didn't see an open window. I said, the experts tell us that there's enough air leakage in the building envelope of a home that's equivalent to about 600 square inches. That's the same size as that window right over there, except that it's open 24-7, 365. And I said, when I first heard that, I didn't believe it. And so I randomly drove into a couple of neighborhoods and I walked some houses that were under construction and darn if it wasn't true. You see all the light coming through? I did. I saw it. In more cases, it was more than 600 square inches, but that's what the building codes require. So that's how the homes were being built. It's not anybody's fault. That's just the way it was. And so you're not only going to be paying utilities for this big house, but you're going to be paying to heat the air that's going to be in your neighbor's front yard every hour and a half. So you have to think about the better, yes, you need a large home, but we need to find a better built large home. And these newer homes that are better built will help those kids with asthma because you have a better indoor air quality. It won't trigger quite the same as a home built to the lower building standards. So you have all those kinds of buttons to push with a move up buyer. The empty nester, they can afford a lot. They're very discerning. They've learned a lot from the previous homes. They're willing to branch out and try different styles and designs. They're willing to pay more for what they want. So the hot button that I push to them is, hey, buy a high-performance home, take the savings, build your IRA 401k faster, get to the finish line and retire quicker. 
these homes are more durable. They're going to cost you less. You're not going to have to repaint every six or seven years. And there's just a better built home. Now, at this point, they really can appreciate a better built home. And I said, look, enjoy the savings. Your kids are gone. Enjoy the savings. Take your kids on trips and stuff with the money you're not spending on your utilities. And that really rings home for them. And the retirees, at this point, they're in their later years. They don't have quite the income that they did, if any, and they're on retirement or savings. So they're really into a low-cost, no-cost mode. They're highly educated from the previous home experiences. They want simple living. They don't want any repairs. They don't want any maintenance, and they don't want any utilities. They'll pay the $25 cell phone bill every month rather than what they used to do in the previous years because they're trying to drop the monthly debt down to as low as possible so that they don't outlive their money. That's their greatest fear is outliving their money. So my button that I push there is, look, it's time to take that money and spend it on you. Enjoy life. Don't spend it on a house. Take the money for every $1,000 of energy improvements or whatever, underwear quality improvements, for every $1,000 that you raise the price, it costs you $5 per thousand on a loan. So it's simple math. And at this this point, many retirees pay cash for their home anyway. So high-performance homes are really better built and they really do cost less to own. This particular group truly understands that, and they get it. And you can especially focus on the comfort aspect, too, and, and the health and the, those issues. Those so the new market that was created was the potential new home sellers. And that's kind of where I'd like to go next, if I may. Yeah, we have a few more minutes to cover that, sure. You know, with the new energy laws, this created a new potential market that I saw was enormous, and that is... All of the people that are currently living in their homes that were built 10, 20, 30 years ago, those are potential new home buyers, but they don't realize it yet. They don't really realize what they're living in. And there are some concerning facts about their current home. And the moisture intrusion, the Joe Stebrick's one square inch hole and how much water vapor it comes in. The intrusion there. And if you have 600 square inches, you can extend that number to something that is hysterical. But it is what it is. And that's the open window that we all are living with, unless we're living in a high performance home. And that means something. And so I walk around and I say, I look at the windowsills and I say, well, you have the paint flaking on the windowsills, or if you have moisture condensation inside of the windows, or if you have various black marks or things on your air conditioning grills on the ceilings in your house, you've got indoor air quality issues. And so I try to show them that there are things out there that they're not aware of that they need to be paying attention to. And I said, this is coming. The building codes are changing and homes are going to be required to be built tighter and better. And the market is getting educated. The home builders out there are in the process of educating them. And we in the real estate community are helping to educate them as well. So at some point, you're going to have to disclose some of these things because the buyers are going to know to ask and they're going to do an inspection. They're not just going to do a mechanical inspection on your home. They're going to do an energy audit after they contract on your home. So if you think you may be selling a home in the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, doesn't matter when. Don't let it surprise you that a new home buyer may want to do an energy audit during that 10-day option period. And now we're talking about a whole different conversation that we haven't discussed before. So, Mr. Homeowner, if you think that there's a probability that you may be moving for whatever reason, sooner is better than later before this becomes an issue. 
So something to think about. But I will tell you, the one thing that was made the biggest impact for me, Bill, when I was getting my energy rater certification was the impacts of what happens with negative pressure. And I asked the question to the guys there that they were helping us get certification. And I asked them, I just said, let me ask you a question. How many homes, again, none of these have been pressure balanced. So how many of these homes have negative pressure or positive pressure? He go, 100%. I said, wait a minute, let me rephrase my question. How many homes out of 100 either have a negative pressure problem or a positive pressure problem? They looked at me like, didn't you hear what I just said? It's all of them. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. They said every single house has one of the other problems, unless it's been pressure balanced. Well, homes, they were not required to be pressure balanced up until a few years ago. So all of those homes built prior to that particular date in that particular municipality, they've got the 40 pounds of dust mites, or they have the moisture intrusion, or they've got the particulates or the VOCs and carcinogens, or they may have all kinds of stuff in their exterior wall because of positive pressure. They may have all kinds of things that they're not aware of. And I remember that sickening feeling that you get when you get bad news in the pit of your stomach. That's what happened to me that day. That's when it went, oh my goodness, this is serious. The dots got connected in a hard way there. It was very impactful for me. I just didn't think that something was going to hit me like that, but it did. And that's when the big light bulb, that's a big reason to live in a high-performance home that performs better. And so I began telling everybody I knew that, look, folks, when you're buying a home, you're buying performance. You're not just buying the pretty carpet, the nice hardwood floors, and the granite tops, and the wonderful appliances. You're buying performance. So we talk about her scores and and, um, blower door scores of three air changes or five air changes. We talk about mechanical ventilation, money saved with uh, more efficient water heating and heat and air and appliances and lighting and all those things. Just let the home pay for itself. Let the home pay for your mortgage or your IRA or your retirement or college. Let the home do that for you now because you're in a position to come from a poor performing home that you're used to paying these ridiculous amount of utilities every month, every year, and take that money and, and apply it for something that's beneficial for you. So that's the conversation that I learned to use with each of the different home buyer types. This is a tremendous kind of sweeping understanding of this topic. And we could go on and on, but uh, usually we, we try to focus on these topics. And I really like what you've conveyed here in terms of connecting the dots for you and for the home buyer, especially for the home buyer. So if someone wanted to get more information, where do you share your knowledge and your perspective? Is it just kind of bottled up inside you or do you go to any conferences or what else do you do? Well, I do teach. We have seven offices in the Dallas area and I do teach high performance building to the 350 real estate agents that are in those seven offices. I have been invited to speak at some national conferences with the appraisers and whatnot. And I want to get the word out as best I can, as often as I can. And of course, the part that I enjoy the most is those guys that sit in my front seat of my car and I help them on a one-on-one basis. And I'm allowing them to, to learn the different aspects of high-performance building and what's coming because it's out there. The DOE and the Building Technologies Office have, have basically told us this is what's coming. And it's just a matter of looking and finding and pursuing and understanding what's going on. The increased building codes are on the horizon. The 2016-2020 multi-year program plan is in writing. It's out there. 
Everybody needs to read it. Those are the energy efficiency goals and objectives that are in print. Everybody needs to understand that this is already in place and we just need to understand where we are in the program so that we can build accordingly. And I try to tell my clients that you're buying performance and you want to stay ahead of obsolescence because now homes, homes are now evolving like cell phones are or have been and laptops have been and homes are now have accelerated in their improvement process and the DOA, the Department of Energy, they're a national entity that is coordinating this effort on all fronts and God bless Sam Rashkin. He's got a heck of a job in front of him. He's doing a fantastic job and I wish I could help him more, but I'm just one guy, but I think he's got a wonderful program that he's, and the way he's going about it. And it's people need to think of that home about performance and they need to think about my house is going to be obsolete if I'm not careful. And so that gets these home sellers off the couch in the let's do something about it mode that I like being a part of. And I think you were a part of it today in sharing the word and sharing your story and, and giving us uh, this fantastic perspective and sharing your knowledge. So I want to thank you again for coming on the Res Talk podcast. Is there uh, an easy way for someone to reach out to you if they want to follow up? You may. Obviously, I have a cell phone, 214-695-4949. And I have an email address at jdbentley27 at yahoo.com. Fantastic. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you for coming on today. It's obviously something you care a lot about. You're very passionate about it. You're very knowledgeable. I, I can feel the energy vibrating through the digital <laughs> lines here. So, Well, it was my pleasure, and I, I very much enjoyed it and look forward to uh, possibly being a part of this in the future. Sure. We'll be in touch again. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you, everyone, for listening to the Res Talk Podcast. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Res Talk Podcast, where Jeff has shared his experiences. Here's a quote or thought for today. It's by Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher from a couple centuries ago. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Now, Jeff's certainly done a lot of living forwards in the housing market, and he's sharing his experience and his understanding looking backwards. If you're pro in the building market, come on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more or to join the email list. And you can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter at ResNetUS. If you're interested in feeding back what you heard here today or want to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. We'd appreciate your reviews on the Apple Podcast app. And if you've not subscribed, please consider doing so so you can get fresh content from ResTalk as it is produced and released. Thanks again for listening to ResTalk. We hope to have you back next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the ResTalk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spone, produced by Brian Orr, and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes or the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. Talk.